0: Good morning. It is so good to see each of you here this morning. We have a wonderful crowd that is gathered together on the first day of the week to worship God. I'm so thankful for your presence. I'm so appreciative of the priority that worship plays in your life and for the fact that you are here gathered together to worship our God today. I'm so thankful. For that, We have many visitors in our midst, and I just want to extend a welcome to you. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, if you have any questions or any concerns, any comments about anything that you have seen or heard today, then please do not leave uh, with those questions unanswered. We do invite you to ask those questions to anybody that you can find. and They will do all that they can to get you a biblical answer to your question. Uh, but I'm just so thankful that we have this opportunity today uh, to worship God together. Perhaps you are here for the first time, maybe you're looking for a church home, know that we would love to have you here at East Hill. If you have any questions about that, please ask, and we will certainly do all that we can to make you feel as uh, as welcome uh, as you can be uh, while you're here. I do want to make one quick uh, mention of something to our East Hill members concerning um, tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week. A week from today is our graduation potluck for all of our seniors. I believe we are recognizing seven different seniors this year Um, so we have a lot of a lot of young people graduating so i'm so thankful for that excited for this so if you would please uh, as members just keep this um this meal in your mind is we're going to have just a normal potluck meal after our morning worship service. And then once we do that, we'll have a little bit of a presentation uh, for our graduates, um, and then we will let you all go for the afternoon. So please just keep this in mind uh, concerning next week and the graduation potluck that will take place then. Again, I'm so thankful for your presence here. I'm excited this morning to dive into another parable of Jesus. We've been doing this for the past couple of months. um, When we have opportunity to do so on Sunday mornings, Uh, We're taking a parable that Jesus has taught, and there are so many lessons. It's so so important for us to remember the teachings and the parables specifically of Jesus because of how applicable they are to you and I today. And I say that every single time we go through these parables, and I feel like I just keep reiterating it, and I keep restating myself, but I can't say it enough about how important these parables of Jesus are to you and I today, and especially with this specific parable that we're going to talk about here found in Luke chapter 15, that of the parable the prodigal son. This may be one of the most famous parables that Jesus taught, and yet it is one that I think that we don't study near enough. It is one that every time I study, there are new things that pop out to me in my mind every single time I go through this, and so I'm excited to dive into this study uh, with you this morning. It's important for us before we dive into this specific parable that we understand the context of Luke chapter 15, that we understand everything that's going on within this specific parable and the context context before and after in order to understand exactly what it is that's going on. You go back to the very beginning of Luke chapter 15, and what are we finding out? Well, we're finding that all of these crowds are coming to Jesus. Now, that was not uh, that, that was not an unusual scene at that time. Jesus was growing in popularity. The crowds, the multitudes were coming. They were gathering. They wanted to, te- to hear Jesus teach, and they wanted to listen. They wanted to understand what Jesus was saying, but with the crowds also came who? The bad news bears, right? The Pharisees. That's what we call them. The Pharisees. They were coming too. And every time they came around, something bad happened. They were complaining. They were trying to trip up Jesus. They didn't like the uh, the power that Jesus had and the popularity that Jesus had. And they wanted that for themselves. And so, they rear their ugly heads here in Luke chapter 15, and they begin to complain about Jesus and some of the things that He's doing. So, in order to answer them, what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus imparts on them here in Luke chapter 15 three different parables. And He begins with the parable of the, of the lost sheep. He then goes to the parable of the lost coin And then he gets to the parable of the lost boy, or what we call as the prodigal son. So remember, within this specific parable, you got to remember what's going on here. Remember Jesus, he's facing criticism here at the beginning of Luke 15 because he's eating and he is communing with what they called sinners. Jesus was meeting and eating and being with people that the Pharisees wouldn't have anything to do with. And so Jesus imparts this parable to them. And he makes it very applicable to them in their day and in that situation because within this parable we understand this. The father in this parable represents God. We understand that the son in this parable represents someone who was lost but then who was able to come home. But then he talks about the elder brother, the oldest brother there at the end, and how he was unsympathetic toward the younger brother, the sinner who was lost and who eventually came back. And that was why he was specifically mentioning that parable. There are so many lessons, so many things that we can pull out of this specific parable that That can apply to you and I today. In fact, um, as of I guess a couple of days ago, I had ten applications for us to look at. Now I whittled that down to seven, so where you don't have to sit here too long. Um, But I've got seven applications, seven things that I think are so important for us to understand as we go through this parable and as we make it applicable to us today. But before we do that, I want to read this parable in its entirety. I hope your Bibles open to Luke chapter 15, and I want to read all of this passage so that we can understand everything. Keep it fresh on our Minds, and then we're going to make some application as we go through um, here this morning. Look with me here, Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. Notice what Jesus says. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. The King James says riotous living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son." Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry." For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said what these things meant, and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Seven things I want to point out from this parable today as we go through this application. Here's number one. When I look at this parable, I have, we have to understand this. Number one, the grass is not always greener on the other side. The grass is not always greener On the other side, when we begin reading about the prodigal son, when we begin going through this parable, what comes to our minds? When I look at this parable, there's a specific word that I can't help get rid of when I look at this son and his attitude, and that is this word greedy. I can't help but think about this son as someone who had a greedy attitude. Someone who was never satisfied with what he had. Someone who looked around at the world. Someone who looked at what was afar off. And someone who thought that what he didn't have was better than what he already had. In fact, Frank Cox said this. He said, he said, talking about the sun, he was growing weary of his home restraint and he desired to depart for a place where his passions could have free reign. You see, he thought there was something better, didn't he? He thought there was something for which that was greater that he didn't know about, and he wanted to go experience that. He thought the grass on the far side was way greener. It was way better than what he had in his own possession already. But you see, here's the biggest thing, the biggest mistake that the son makes right off the bat, and that is this. He was blind to what he had. The prodigal son was blind to the blessings that he already had in his possession. You see, he didn't realize how good it was that he had already, did he? He didn't understand the greatness of the blessings that his father was already giving him. He didn't realize what was in his possession, and so he got greedy. He thought there was something better. He thought there was something greater. He was looking for something that was better. And he didn't realize that when he left his father, when he left his home, he left the greatest place that he could have ever been while he was living on this earth. He didn't appreciate what he had. He didn't appreciate the things that his father was providing with him. He didn't lack anything. He didn't need anything, and yet he wanted everything that he already didn't have. Brothers and sisters, when you and I turn a blind eye to our blessings, when you and I look at the things that God has provided us with, every single thing that we have that is good that comes from God, James chapter 1.18 When we turn a blind eye to those things, we become selfish. We become so unappreciative of what God has given us. And when we have that attitude, everything around us in this world looks so much better than what you and I already have today. When we look at the world, when we look at our friends, when we look at what is out there and what is offered to us, it looks so good. It looks so great. It looks so fun. But let me tell you this, the grass is not always greener on the other side. In fact, you and I understand that when we live lives as Christians, we're already on the greener side, aren't we? We're all living on the side that people should want to be on. I want you to name a life. Name me one life that is better than living the life of a Christian. I dare you to do it. You can't. There is no life that is better than what we are able to enjoy while living as New Testament Christians. The blessings that we find within Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, are so insurmountable. They are so magnificent that it simply cannot be surpassed. That is how great and how wonderful the life that you and I are able to live as Christians already is. The world makes itself look good. The world makes itself look enticing, but you see, the world doesn't tell you about the strife and the heartache and the troubles that come with it. The world doesn't tell you about all those troubles that you will get yourself into if you go to that far country. It doesn't tell you about the destination of eternal pain that it's going to bring about and the death that comes with it. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Here's lesson number two. We're going to go through these fairly quickly this morning. Number two, I want you to think about this. As we look at this idea of the prodigal son, I want you to understand that we have free will you see what did the son ask for notice verse 12 again the Bible says the younger son the younger of them said to his father father give me the portions of goods that falls to me what did the father do notice keep reading so he divided to them his livelihood what did the father do he freely he willingly gave a third of everything that he had to his to his son His son asked him, and what did his father do? His father just gave him. That's huge. The father just willingly gave him, but notice this. When the father gave him that portion, when the father gave him those blessings, what did the father do? The father allowed him to do whatever he wanted to do with it. The father didn't hinder the free will of his son. The father gave all of those things to his son, and he let him live and spend it and do whatever he wanted with it. He got to choose how he wanted to live. He got to choose how he wanted to spend his money. And as foolish as it was, the father didn't intervene. The father didn't step in and say, here's what you need to do. The father didn't step in and say, here's what you don't need to do. He simply gave him what he wanted. And he foolishly spent it all. You see, God gives us our portion, doesn't he? Every single day, we wake up with what God has given us. The things that we have, what we're blessed with, it comes from God, and yet just like the Father who gave His Son His portion, He didn't make Him do anything with it. Thus, God doesn't make you and I do anything with the things that we have, yet it's a choice that we're presented with every single day. What do you do with your portion? What do you do with your inheritance, the blessings, the things that God? Given you the choices, the decisions that you're faced with every single day, what do you do with all of the things that God has given you? You see, God doesn't make us do anything in this life. You will not understand that we are responsible. We ourselves are responsible for our own actions. For all of the things that we do in this life, no one made the prodigal son do what he did. He took what he wanted and he lived with it as he pleased and he gave no care or reverence for the Father. Friends, when you and I wake up, we have to understand there's a choice that we have to make. There's a choice that we have to make of who we're going to live with, excuse me, who we're going to live for, and what we're going to do in this life. Here's number three. The far country is always lonely. The far country is always lonely. You know, there's a lot of things that have always stood out to me when I read about this parable here in Luke chapter 15, and one of these things is this, and it has to do with the Father here. We think about the son. The son comes. The son asks, he asks for his inheritance. He gets his inheritance, and then he leaves. And what does the father do? The father lets him go. The father allows him to go unattended and lonely because it was his own choice to leave. You see, every single person who goes to that far country, who goes to the world, who goes off into sin, who does whatever it is that they want to do with no regard for God, with no regard for Jesus... They end up going alone. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, the Bible says, Your iniquities have separated you from who? From your God. Every single time you get into sin, you separate yourself from God. There is nothing that is lonelier than not being in a relationship with your Father. There is no relationship that you should covet or want more than that of the relationship you're able to have with your God and yet when you sin when you do what you're not supposed to do you cut off that relationship and you make yourself lonely because you're not with almighty God to have that relationship and then to break it off by choice you see to go to the far country is guaranteed loneliness you might think you have friends You might think when you go to the world, you have friends. The son did, didn't he? The son thought he had a lot of friends. The son thought he had good friends, but they left him. He left God, and his friends left him. He ended up getting lonelier and lonelier by the minute. In fact, verse 16 tells us this. He said, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. Look at this. And no one gave him anything. See, mankind craves companionship, don't they? You and I, we crave that companionship, that friendship, that relationship between humans, between you and I, but also between our God and yet what does the life of sin mean? Every single time it means you go alone. Every single time you choose to go away from God, you choose to go it alone. There is no sympathetic hand that is outstretched to Him while He's in sin. This is such a contrast between a life that is lived in sin and how lonely that is compared to a life that is lived righteously and faithfully and how close of a relationship you can have with your Father. You see, the time spent in sin is time that is wasted, isn't it? That far country looked good. He thought it was good. He thought everything he ever wanted. It looked like everything he didn't have. And so he decided that he had to go and check it out and see what it is. But here's the thing about that far country. The far country doesn't last either, does it? The far country doesn't last. In the end, it always brings you trouble. It always brings you sorrow. It always brings you strife. We understand that everything here in this far country in which we live is temporary. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25, the Bible says choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy what? The passing pleasures of sin. It's not going to last. Jeremiah 8 and verse 20, the whole past, the summer is ended and we are not saved. Their season of pleasure didn't last. Romans 6 and verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. You see, brothers and sisters, when we leave the Father, when we leave our home, we abandon any kind of peace and security that you and I are able to enjoy as Christians. Any kind of joy, peace, or comfort, that's gone. When you and I decide to abandon the Father and go to that far country. Isaiah 26 and verse 3, "...you will keep Him in perfect peace." whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. You see, when it comes to the Father, we understand that when we leave His presence, we abandon any kind of hope that we might be able to have in this life. Any kind of joy, peace, comfort, security, hope, anything that we want that's good, we give it up. We leave it behind whenever we go to that far country. Because when we leave the Father, we leave the source of hope. And that certainly is the most lonely life. Here's number four. When we look at the prodigal son, we understand that the far country is also full of false advertising. I don't know about you. I enjoy online shopping. I know that's such a millennial thing to say. I, I understand that. Um, I, Amazon's my best friend. I, I, uh, I shop too much on Amazon. Kalen walked out. That's why I said that. Don't tell her that. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, sometimes, though, when you shop online, you... Expect a specific product, don't you? And when they ship it to you, you hope to get exactly what it is that you received. And sometimes you open that box up and what happens? It's not exactly what you thought it was going to be. Now, maybe that was your mistake, but sometimes there's this thing called false advertising. They make it look like something that is really not because they simply just want your money. They want you to spend your money and they're going to give you a product that you simply didn't want. You see, that's the whole thing, the whole idea about this far country. When it came to the prodigal son and the way that he looked at it, you see, he thought it was something that he so desperately desired. He thought that it was something that he wanted, and yet it wasn't nearly as glamorous as what he thought it was going to be, was it? You see, he envisioned this life of luxury, didn't he? The prodigal lost boy, he envisioned, he saw, he thought a life of pleasure was awaiting him. He wanted that life of desire. He wanted his life to be fulfilled with all of these worldly things that he thought that he needed to have and all of those things that he didn't have with his father. And that's exactly what the far country advertised itself. And it started out that way, didn't it? The prodigal son lived a prodigal life, a life of fun, a life of wasteful living, riotous living, where he had his money, and he got to spend it, and he got to enjoy all of these good things, at least he thought. But you see, it didn't last. See, that's what living in the far country is like, isn't it? It seems great for a moment, but then it truly isn't anything like what you thought it was going to be. You see, the world gives you all of the good things that it has to offer. The world shows you that everything out there in this world that you could possibly have is something that you so desperately need. Something you so desperately must have in your life. And yet we understand that it's nothing like that. There's a reason why in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, John said, Don't love the world. Frank Cox also said this. He said, It was far from the Father, far from home, from love, from plenty. He said, No two things are farther apart than sin and righteousness. The prodigal son gave up so much, didn't he? When it came to what he had and to what he was going to, he gave up so much for so little. He gave up his home, his security, his hope, his love. All for what? All for a land that wasn't even what it promised to be. Friends, that's how the world treats you. The world tells you it's great. The far country, it tells you you want to come and be a part of it. You want to come and take part in everything that we have to offer you. Just leave your home. Leave your father. Leave your place of security and hope and come and join us. And we'll give you all of these good things. And it seems so promising. It seems so good. And when you go and you try it out, the world gobbles you up and it spits you back out because the world doesn't care about you. But your father does. Your home does. Because that's where your hope is. That's where your security is. The world says live how you want. The world says act how you want. Whatever choice and decision that feels good to you, you can have at it. But the world doesn't tell you how awful it truly is. Sin doesn't tell you about the consequences, does it? Sin doesn't tell you about the mess that you're going to have to clean up once you've figured your life out. The world doesn't tell you about all of those evil and horrible things that come with it. But you see, you don't have to worry about any of those things if you simply stay with the Father. Here's number five. The far country also brings you low. The far country brings you low. What did the far country end up doing to the son? What did the world end up doing to his son? I said it a moment ago. The world gobbled up the prodigal son and it spat him back out. It advertised itself as something that it truly wasn't. He believed the lie and so it spat him to the lowest of lows. He was brought so low he couldn't go any lower. See, he left his home, didn't he? He was searching for something that he thought was so good, and now he finds himself in want. And in fact, it brought him so low that he was in need of the most basic things in life. You see, he thought that he was in shackles when he was with his father. He thought that he was in a terrible place with his father because he didn't have what he wanted. And so he goes out to the far country, he goes out to the world, and now he finds himself in the bonds of poverty. He finds himself in a place that he never wanted to be in. He finds himself in a place that he wouldn't have even wished upon anybody else. You see, every time you and I leave God, every time that we go to that far country and we try to dip our toes into it because we want to see what it's like, we will always find ourselves in poverty. Whatever kind of lifestyle you choose, whatever kind of sin you are into, whatever it is that is in your life that is putting a barrier between you and your God, putting you away from your Father, whatever. It might be, it will always bring you to poverty. Physically, maybe not so much. But in the most important way, spiritually speaking, I can promise you this. It will no doubt put you in a place that you don't want to be. Sin brings you low. It promises good, doesn't it? It promises pleasure. It promises fun. Sin promises you the good life that you can live when you get to that far country. But it never, ever Delivers. In fact, it always lies to you, just like the prodigal, just like it did to the prodigal son. Here's number six. I want you to understand this. When it comes to the prodigal son, we see that he lives his life, the riotous life. He goes away. He gets brought low, but then he remembered. I want you to understand that remembrance calls for action. Remembrance calls for action. Memory has often been called the lever of repentance in other words you take someone who's living in sin we look at the prodigal son we understand that he's where he should not be he's living a life that god did not want him to live a relationship that's been cut off that's where he's at right now but then they remember they they remember the good they remember the peace they remember the security the hope the calmness that they were able to get when they were living on the righteous side when they were living at home when they were living with their father They remember all of those good things and they understand that where they are in the far country, it doesn't give them those things. That's something that's not too soon forgotten. Something that certainly must be remembered and it is something that will never, ever, ever be replicated by this world in which we live. Here's something we have to understand when it comes to this idea of repentance and remembering, bringing us into a state of action. We can drift away from God, but we cannot drift back to God. We can drift away from God, but we can't just simply happen to be back in a relationship with God. You see, we leave God over time. That's how sin works. Sin slowly creeps into your life and you are slowly but surely pushing yourself step by step, action by action, away from your father. And perhaps you didn't even realize it. We know that sin separates us. It cuts us off. We talked about that already. We've drifted away from being in a relationship with God. But you can't just simply drift back to Him either. It's not something that just happens like that. It takes a resolute effort, doesn't it? Remembrance calls for action. It's something that you and I must do. It takes intentional effort, and that's exactly what we see from the son. Notice what he says. He says, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? What's he doing? He's remembering, he's recalling, he's thinking back to everything that he had that was good. He's remembering how good it was to be in fellowship with his father, and he's remembering how good it was before he foolishly left. But also notice this. What does he continue to say? He says, "I will arise." Intentional action. He says, "I will go." Intentional action. He says, "I will say." Intentional action. Remembrance and repentance calls for action. Intentions doesn't equal repentance. Just because you're intending to do good or just because you think you might be doing good doesn't mean it's going to just immediately put you back in a good state with God. It is something that must take a calculated and conscious effort on your part. The prodigal son couldn't just think, oh, I wish I was back in a good state with my father, and immediately he was. That's not how it works. He had to intentionally make the thought and the effort and the action to go back and to be with his father. That's the only way he was going to be received back. He realized his mistake. He remembered his master. And then he decided to return home. Here's number seven. This is the last one I want to talk about this morning. Forgiveness requires action from you. Forgiveness requires action from you. And I want to take this in a little bit of a different way. This may be one of the most important things that you and I can learn from this entire parable. There's a lot of people in our world, there's a lot of people in our in, in the Christian faith, members who are me- people who are members of the church of Christ who believe this, they'll say, well, I can't forgive somebody until they come to me and ask for forgiveness. In other words, you just simply can't forgive some, of some, someone of something that they haven't asked forgiveness for. And they reference passages like Matthew chapter 18, Titus chapter 3, and so on and so forth, and they'll say, well, look, if he or she doesn't ask for forgiveness, then I don't have to forgive them, so I'm not going to. But you see, I find that concept a little bit difficult to believe. And I don't think that that's a biblical concept. And I say that because of what we see here in Luke chapter 15. We think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son went to his father, asked for his inheritance, he took it and he left. He spends it foolishly, he does things he shouldn't do with it, and so it brings him low. He finally remembers what he needs to do. He remembers all the good things that were at his father's house. So he makes the calculated effort to finally get up and to go to his father. He begins his journey home. But I say all of that to say this, and this is the reason why I brought this point up. What's the father doing? The father's waiting on him. The father's waiting on him and he is longing for him. He runs to him and then he embraces him. The father hasn't even heard a word. The father hasn't even had a conversation with his sinful son. And what is he doing? He's forgiving him. He's bringing him into the fold, into the place where he wanted to be. He's showing him an attitude of forgiveness before the Son even ever says anything at all. The Father forgives him without even having to be asked for it. When I say that forgiveness requires you, I mean that you are the one that it requires forgiveness from. I'm not talking about the one who's sinned. I'm not talking about the one who's done the sinning. When someone has faulted you, Perhaps in your eyes, what do you do? When someone has done something wrong against you, what do you do? Do you hold a grudge? Are you standoffish? Do you not want to be with them? You don't want to be near them? You don't want to talk to them? you treat them differently? Do you talk badly about them? No. You forgive. You forget. Even if they never even asked you for it. We've talked about building up this entire year. We've talked about strengthening. We've talked about growing as Christians, as a congregation. Brothers and sisters, this is one of the greatest ways that you can do that. That you are willing to forgive. You're willing to take that high road, even as the father did with the prodigal son, and that you're willing to forgive them before they even ever ask you for it. That's the kind of attitude that you and I need to have as Christians. Guy Wood said this about these three particular parables. He said some, are, some people are the lost coin, where, where they lo- they lost and they don't know it. He said some people are like the lost sheep. They're lost and they know it, but they just don't know their way back. But then he said some are like the lost boy, the prodigal son. He said some are lost and they know it, but then they know the way back. One of the worst things that you and I could ever do One of the worst things that could ever happen to any single person in this life is for someone to be lost, to know that they're lost, to know what they need to do in order to come back, and then not do it. You see, we look at the prodigal son all the time and we talk about the kind of attitude that we shouldn't have when it comes to the prodigal son. How he had an attitude of wanting to take what wasn't his and wanting to go and foolishly spend it. We talk about all those things and certainly we should place an emphasis on those. But I think far too often we overlook his willingness to come back. He experienced what he thought was going to be great, and it didn't deliver. He experienced something that he really so desperately wanted, but it wasn't anything like he thought it was going to be. And he understood that when he was with his father, when he was at his home, he was in the greatest place that he ever could have been. And he knew the way back to him And so he humbles himself, and he goes back. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're someone who's like the prodigal son. Maybe you're someone who has once lived the right kind of life. Maybe you are someone who once dedicated your life to Jesus. You gave your life to Him through baptism. You are a Christian, and perhaps you found yourself in that far country. Maybe you found yourself wandering away from your Father. You have completely abandoned the source of hope and maybe you're gone. But maybe you understand that it's time for you to come home. Maybe you understand that you need to humble yourself and repent of all of those things in your life that may not be what they're supposed to be and you want to come back. You have to understand this. The Father is waiting on you. God is waiting on you. He is standing there looking, waiting for you to return to Him. But that's a decision that you have to make for yourself. A decision that you have to make to put all of those things aside and to give your life back to Him. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're someone who's not even yet a Christian. Maybe you're someone who hasn't dedicated your life to Him at all, but you want to do that this morning. we We can make that happen. You can become baptized into Christ, becoming a child of God, that water representing the blood of Jesus Christ, washing your sins away. You've gone to the source of hope. You've gone to the Father. You've gone to the One who gives you all spiritual blessings. Stay with Him. Don't abandon Him. Don't look at the far country and think that that is something that I have to have because it is nothing that it advertises itself as. Know that the Father is the greatest thing that you could ever have in this life. If you have a need, won't you come? Together we stand and as we sing.